right, First Corinthians chapter 3. I want to talk about the, the, God's greatest building project. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Let's read verses 6 to 9. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. He's the one to worry about. Verse 8, Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So you're talking about a farmer, you're talking about people who work on the farm, and they get rewarded, they get paid for their labor. Verse 9, Paul says, We are laborers together with God. That's one thing, but the other side is, ye are God's husbandry. Now, that's an older word. What does that word mean, husbandry? Farming. You're God's farm. Ye are God's also. You're compared to a building. Now, the point is, Christianity is more than just getting up and going to work every day and on occasion coming to church when it suits you. According to the Bible, your life is being planted, watered, weeded, and built up by God. Now, while you're in school and you're growing up, that's what they're preparing you for. Isn't that a funny thing? There are people who've gone four, five, and six years, university-level education. They have spent thousands of hours studying, and yet they're, um, they're working at McDonald's. They're working two jobs to pay for a car and a flat. And You know, if that's all there is to life, no wonder people want to commit suicide. Christianity does not prepare you for that. Christianity prepares you for this, prepares you for living. Listen, let me just say this about plants and things. Nothing happens by accident. If you're going to have life, if you're going to have a garden, it has to be managed, farmed, constructed, or else you only have overgrowth, weeds, and rubbish. So there's some good news for you this morning. God is at work on you. He's working on everyone that is living and breathing. Praise God. But let me say, he's especially working on the life of the believer. My life verses Philippians 1, 6, it says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he's going to stay working on me until I reach home to heaven. Now, what do you think, what do you think God thinks of his work of us? Now, Paul, uh, sorry, David writes when he's talked about conception, and he talks about uh, babies in the womb, and he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made by God, and children are. But what if I told you that every believer is more than that? He is a temple in God's kingdom. And secondly, that, if, that God takes it extremely seriously how we treat his temple. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Open our eyes to what the world wants to numb us to and what, what all the problems want to um, burn out in our conscience. Restore a softness in us to, to, to make us aware that we're more than just a, uh, a machine that, that goes to work and changes nappies and pays bills and struggles to, to, to get enough sleep. Lord, we are more than that, and you made us more than that, and you're working on more than that. Lord, I pray that we would allow you to work, and we would protect that work. So bless this time in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, by way of background, I want you here, in, in, as we look at, at chapter 3, look down to verse 9. I want to say this again. And, and by way of background, I want to say that you are God's greatest building project in progress. Verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. We're working with God because God's at work, Paul says. God's been working, and I've just joined with him. I'm just helping. Ye are God's husbandry, you're God's farm, and ye are God's building. Verse 10, Paul goes on, he says, according to the grace of God. And you ought to circle that word grace which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I've laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon, but let every man, every woman, every teenager, take heed 
how he buildeth thereon. Now, from the moment of conception, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. God's not finished with you. He calls you a life. Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to what? You ever felt his pull? You ever felt like every time you're trying to build up something, he's, he's like a, 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 a competitor just coming on and knocking it down. And he comes to, to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life, and not just life, but life more abundantly. So in God's building pro, uh, project, or building program, you're a life he's building. You're a work in progress. Please do not judge me too harshly. I'm 55 years old. I've learned a lot, but I haven't learned everything. And I've, I've grown. My wife will tell you I've grown in some areas. There's still some areas that need some work. But I'm a work in progress, and so are you. And so sometimes we're very quick to try to judge and try to compare and try to critique one another. Be careful, because every believer is a work in project, uh, progress. Amen? Thirdly, you're a work of grace. You know what grace is? Grace in its simplest meaning means putting up with. If you have grace one with another, you put up with one another because you love one another. Well, I'm a work of grace, meaning that God, out of His grace, He constantly puts things together even though I fall apart. And He just starts over. And He's not interested in perfection. You know what He's interested in? Reflection. Ooh, that's deep. So instead of Him wanting to be perfect, He just wants to see a little bit of Himself in me. The more He can work on me, the more He can make me like Jesus. So I'm a work of grace. I'm also an investment of others. What does that mean? Do you know God uses lots of people in your life that invest in your life? God uses people like parents. I know you didn't pay attention to hardly anything they taught you. But by, by the time you get about 25, 30, you got a couple of kids under tow. You know what you're remembering? This is exactly what my dad was doing. <laughs> I'm becoming my mother. <laughs> And all of a sudden, all that stuff comes back. But God uses parents. God also uses preachers. And it's a shame in Ireland, they haven't had preachers. They've had priests, they've had bishops, they've had teachers, they've had people, politicians. But Ireland needs preachers who can stand up and tell you what thus saith the Lord is. Because God doesn't use all the finesse, all of the posh, all the polishness of the, of the politicians. He uses the rough and the, the sometimes abrasive, and sometimes the harsh, and sometimes the laser of a preacher to break our hard hearts and get us where we're ready for Christ to work and make us different. So God uses others, and sometimes He uses pressures in life. You ever have that enemy in your life that just aggravates you every time you're around him? Don't look at your husband. Do you ever have, you, know, you look at your kids and go, they're going to be the death of me? You, you, you just have people in your life, but God uses those people to forge you. If he took you out of those situations, say, I wish God could, I wish I could just move out of the country. I wish I could just live away from so-and-so. I wish I just didn't have these pressures. You know what? You would fall apart and not be what Christ meant you to be. I don't, I don't say that you should live under torment and torture, but there are, there are too many of us who are just offended at everybody. We don't realize God put them in our lives to forge us. So God uses those, and, he, and they invest in our life. And i got a statement for you. If you fight and reject your parents, if you fight and you reject your preacher, if you fight and you reject the pressures that God, God is putting on you, then you lose. You're the one that's the loser. So let God mold you this morning, even though it may be uncomfortable. Uh, also, God's building project he doesn't just work on one person. He works on all of us. We're part of a bigger program. You know, that's why God says, assemble, this, uh, assemble yourselves together. Church isn't about you. Church isn't just, I mean, if you just sit at home watching YouTubes, I pity you. Because that's not church. Church is getting you to get along with other people who you don't like. <laughs> and getting you to love one another and getting you to serve one another and work together as a team. Because God doesn't just think of you. You hear all of the preachers, and all they want to talk about is you, 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 you. When the preaching is about him, 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 him. And so I'm here 
to lift up the Lord, to watch the Lord Jesus Christ be lifted up and watch, draw, uh, watch all men drawn unto Him. And all of us, as we get closer to Him, the more worthless we feel, the more, the more broken we feel, and yet the closer we get, the more healing happens because we're focused on Him. So we're part of something bigger. Um, don't neglect church. Don't think you don't need to be here on a Sunday. I prayed this morning and I said, I bet you there are going to be people who are going to miss this Sunday and it's right for them. It is for them. I don't design a message just for Kevin Masters. Oh, this is for Kevin. Kevin, you better be there. Well, that would be a waste. Everybody else going, boy, he's really hitting Kevin today and Kevin's not even here. <laughs> no, no, no. That book fits. It's one size fits all. But let me tell you, don't neglect church because it is, it is every Sunday. Every Wednesday is exactly what you need. And I got this. God assembles us with other Christians to make something awesome. I'll tell you about it in a moment. There's only one foundation that we're being built upon there in verse, uh, uh, verse 11. It says, For other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is who? All right, so. There's only one foundation to build your life on. You don't build your life on sand or dirt, but on solid rock. There, there are plenty of homes. Uh, Nita and I were in uh, the States there a couple of years back, and you go to the beach, and they're not that stupid here, but over in, uh, in America, everybody wants to build their house on the beach. You know how stupid that is? Because especially on the East Coast there, uh, people like Florence. No, uh, hurricanes like Florence. Where's Florence here? I guess she's in the back there. Oh, she's back. They named a hurricane after Florence. Can you imagine that? I mean, we now know why, wherever she is. Anyway. No, you build your house on the sand and a storm comes in. You ever see these pictures where the houses are collapsing into the sand, stuff like that? That's a, that's a life that builds their life on the sand. You build your life on Jesus Christ. Now, everybody, you ought to learn science. You ought to, you ought to uh, uh, buy a house. Uh, you ought to uh, you know, be a part of community. But let me tell you, you build your life on something stronger than science, because science will let you down. And you'll find that out when you go to the hospital as an older person, and they look at you and they go, well, we'll try to manage the pain, and they can't fix it. Science will fail you. Your church will fail you. Mary, saints, Peter, bishops, priests, every one of them will collapse. Jesus Christ is the foundation you build your life on. That's what we believe, and that's what we preach, because that's what the Bible says. So there's only one foundation to build your life on. Just beware of cowboy builders. Beware of those. Do you know the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jude, they were all master builders. Just like Moses and Samuel and David and Solomon, Hosea and Daniel, they were master builders. Look down in verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, Paul says, I've got my hand in the work that God's doing, and I'm like a, a master builder. I'm a, a very careful, cautious. I'm, I'm very um, uh, precise in how I build people. Amen. You better beware of the cowboys out there. God calls them wolves. Go back to Acts chapter 20. Go to the left, find Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Acts 20, 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So what does Paul compare the Christians to? Sheep. He says there are some, some creatures, there are some uh, cowboys, some people who claim to be able to, they know God and they know about religion and all this stuff. And they'll come in and they will not spare the flock. Verse 30, and also of your own selves, Paul worries. And he says, people from amidst yourselves shall men arise, speaking what? Perverse things to draw away disciples after them. After them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Go to Matthew chapter 7 to the left, Matthew. Chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew 7, 15, 
Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are those ravening wolves. Cowboy builders, TV's full of them. Radio, uh, YouTube is full of these guys. Go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, and this, is, this picture is not anywhere near complete. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, what does he call them? Hypocrites. For you pay tithe and mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law which are judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not leave the other done. Watch this, verse 24, he says, ye blind what? You claim to be able to guide people, but you're just as blind as a bat. A bat. And bats aren't that blind. <laughs> and you strain at a gnat and you end up swallowing a camel. Now, you know what's funny about cowboy builders? They usually look more successful. They usually sound more polished. They usually have more money. They usually are on TV, and especially on YouTube big time. And I'm talking about the Benny Hins and the Paula Whites and the televangelists, but I'm also talking about wolves like Oprah Winfrey, and Dr. Phil, and Richard Dawkins, and Dr. Benjamin Spock was really popular back in the 70s. All the mainstream media authors who think they know more than God, you know what I know? They don't even know how to, let, uh, to stay in the, in the rubbish bin. Uh, I don't want to build my life on any of these guys i got to be very careful that I allow the wise master builders. That's why your Bible's filled with people. Did you ever notice that? So I can learn how to, how to match my life to that. I don't need some guy on television to, uh, trying to convince me with rings on every finger that I need to be like him. Paul said, I'm naked. I'm hungry. Paul says, I've been shipwrecked. I'm without houses. I lose friends, and I'm happy. And one of these guys, they can't get an airplane to fly them somewhere privately, and they're sad. Be careful, cowboy builders. Uh, Philippians 3.18, don't go there, but let me just read. For many walk of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, Paul says, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Oh, they may be the friend of Christians, but they never preach the cross. And they never preach the hard life of the Christian. It says, they're the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, because they mind earthly things. If you're building your home and your heart on YouTube channels, and on TV channels, and on the internet, then shame on you when you, should have, when you have a pastor, and you have a church, and you have discipleship right here. Beware of cowboy builders. Paul says, I'm a wise master builder. Make sure you're listening to the book and not to the YouTube. Beware of poor building materials. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In the end of that verse 10, he says, I've laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. So we start with the foundation. For other foundation can no man lay than is laid already, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, guess what? Every man's work shall be made manifest. You're going to know what it is. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall still be saved, yet so as by fire. I could take two hours on this, but I'm, on, I'm just going to make a mention because next week I'm going to talk about building materials. Wood, hay, and stubble are some of the most uh, normal things that probably well over half the population of the planet builds their houses out of. You go to some of the poorest places and they build their their, uh, uh, their houses out of, out of clay mixed with hay, straw, and they call it an adobe house, or they, it's a clay hut. That's how they build their houses until the rain comes, and the rain just washes away the house, and they have to rebuild it every year. Wood, hay, and stubble. Uh, that's not so uncommon. 
all over the world, people struggle to have any kind of building material. Now, I'm impressed with Irish building materials because I come from America there 24 years ago, and every house I knew of was made out of wood. And the wood in the houses would allow a house to live 60, uh, live, but it exists 60 or 70 years until they're having to put aluminum siding on there because the wood's rotting. And after 100 years, the house is being demolished. Irish houses last hundreds of years. There's a difference in the material you use, whether it lasts. So Paul uses and describes three kinds of materials, wood, hay, and stubble. And then he talks about three other materials, gold, silver, and precious stones. One is cheap, the other is going to cost you. One won't last, but the other one will. Now the truth is this. Everyone, oh, I got to tell you this story. How many of you remember the three little pigs? Some of you are going, oh, I know that story. Whew. I thought this was going to be deep, right? Anyway, one built a house of straw. You know why he did that? Because it was easiest and quickest. One built out of sticks because it looked nicer than the straw house, but it was still easy and quick to build. But the third little piggy, he took the time to, and he paid the price to build his house out of bricks. Now, each house, a wolf came by because he loved sausage. <laughs> he loved ham and cheese. And when he came up there and he found that little piggy in the house, he went, well, I want that piggy. So he'd knock on the house and the piggies say, I'm not here. <laughs> he says, open that door. And he says, I'm not opening the door. He says, then I'm going to buff and I'm going to blow your house down. Are we having a revival yet? Anyway, uh, and that little piggy in there going, I hope it holds, I hold it holds. And he goes and he huffs and he puffs in that house rent. And the house made of straw came tumbling down. And he had his sausage that morning. Well, the next morning, you got to have some sausage with your eggs. And so he goes back to the next house and it's made out of sticks. And he does the same thing, huffs and puffs and knocks down. But what's the, what's the moral of the old story called the three little pigs? He came to the house made with bricks and that pig inside there knew that he was safe. And he was able, able to not sit in fear that all of his work was going to be a waste and that he was going to be somebody's breakfast. And you know, the devil watches you, and he watches how you build your life, what you do with your time, what you put into your head and your heart, and he watches and he says, I want some sausage. But he cannot huff and puff and blow down the person who builds their life with materials at last. Now, yeah, the storm will come against you. Every life, every effort, every bit of our um, uh, life that we live is going to be tested. But they, that little story, you know, it's funny. I wonder if any kids, children are being taught these lessons anymore. It'd be good to teach children those old stories because they taught Bible stories. Because Jesus didn't teach three little pigs. He taught two men building one on a sand and the other one on a rock. And the storm came and one of them stood. Same principle. Uh, be careful the materials you read. All the new philosophies that are abounding today. All the new authors and theories about life and purpose and happiness, let me tell you, wood, hay, and stubble. If you're not reading your Bible, I pity you because huff and puff and you're going to come down. Everything in your life is going to be tested. Now, this is serious. The devil aims to expose all the, all the makeup, all the... All the what do, they, what do they call that stuff they, they, they fill cracks with? Crack filler, I know, but uh, polyfiller. Uh, caulk. And all these things we, we, we use to crack, fill in the cracks and everything. The devil's going to expose all the cracks in our lives. You're under stress and under pressure, and you're finding that you're, 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 your tongue is sort of under, out of control. Your anger's through the roof. Your hopes are being dashed. Somebody once said this, somebody said this and said, um, if you go to a church and that church hurts you and you quit going to church, you went for the wrong reason. Because the problem is always going to come. The question is, are you built, out of, built using uh, wood, hay, and stubble or built out of something that will last? All your false hopes, all of your false faiths are going to be founded, uh, tested and found out. You know, if you go to buy a car, what do you expect? You expect that the, 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 the guy who's selling it, I know what you expect. Let me tell you what I expect. 
you, you, you expect that the person who's put on adverts or car zone and he, he or she says, this car, oh, it's, it's never failed me once. I'm telling you, the engine just purrs. Oh, the, the, the interior is awesome. And you say, uh, can I open the bonnet, please? <laughs> and you start it up and you take it to the mechanic. The mechanic says, run. <laughs> is maybe he got six months on it before the rings burn out. And uh, Listen. You want somebody who can test it and find out, is it for real? God calls them trials. Go to James, James chapter 1. I'll tell you where all this is headed in just a moment. I'm still in the introduction, in the background. James chapter 1 and verse 2. James 1, 2. My brethren, count it up. Add it all up as what? All joy. Not a little joy. <laughs> when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Go down to verse 12. Blessed is that man that endureth what? Just stays with it. For when he is tried, guess what? If you don't quit, if you don't, Make it worse. You shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You know, there are only six crowns in the Bible. There are only six. And if you're ever going to get any kind of reward from the Lord, one of them will come because you endure the pressures and the trials of your Christianity. Now, this is a fact of life. Do you know God uses troubles and disasters and storms, earth-shattering events, stress, disappointments, persecutions, mistreatments, mockeries, discriminations. You ever been discriminated against? You know, most people in this room have no idea what it's like to stand in line, and by the time you get up to the front, they've already made up their mind. They're not going to help you. But there are some people in this room that have experienced that and have experienced it here in Ireland all their days. Now, I've experienced it a little bit. This skin color may be white, but when I show up and I'm American... I have found obstacles created to stop me from doing what everybody else is able to do. You know what you do? You endure. Because God sometimes puts you into a time where you're discriminated against and you're, you're, you're ignored because you're not like everybody else. And you just got to say, you know what? This is a trial of my faith. This isn't a trial of my patience. <laughs> This is a trial of my faith. Am I going to live and honor the Lord Jesus Christ and reflect Him and testify of Him, or am I going to get angry? Everything about you is going to be tested. 1 Peter, go to the right, find 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1 and verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness. That's sorrow. Through manifold temptations. It's like temptations keep coming and then keep coming and keep coming. When I say temptation, I mean the temptation to quit and the trials and the pressures. Verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, have you, how many of you have seen Jesus? I mean, if you have, please, please do not raise your hand because <laughs> you haven't. Whom having not seen, yet ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye still rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Remember the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were tried for their faith, weren't they? They were put in a fiery furnace, and they were thought to be done and dusted, gone, made an example of. There in that fire, there their presence, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was able to look into that fire and was able to see four men. And if you look into a blazing furnace, it's hard to see anything but the flame. But he saw those men still, and they were walking around. They were no longer in, in ropes. They were no longer in bonds. And there was a fourth man in there too, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, you're going to be tested. What's going to remain of your life when it has all been said and done? So you're going to be wood, hay, and stubble. You know what happens when you put it under fire? Ash. 
You know what happens when you put gold under fire? It just gets more brilliant. It just gets more pure. It doesn't go anywhere. Silver, same thing. Now, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. Go back, and this is where we're going. And, and this is part of our, our procedure. Go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is our series on Nehemiah about the rebuilding of the walls and everything, and Ezra, the rebuilding of the temple. But I want to show you something here this morning. Why am I talking about this building project of God? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Know ye not that ye will be the temple of God. Is that what it says? I think heaven's going to be awesome, don't you? I think in heaven we're going to be perfect. I think in heaven is going to be, we just won't be able to do wrong. I think we're going to sing on key. We're going to, we're going to be harmonious. I think we'll just, we'll glorify God every second of every hour of every eon. That'll be a great place of worship in heaven, won't it? God didn't say, you will be. He says, you are. You already are. Too many Christians are a warehouse. <laughs> They're just stocking up on stuff, man. Too many Christians are a cinema. All they do is live for the next movie. Too many Christians are shopping centers. You're a walking, talking shopping center, man. You see these shoes I got on? You see this outfit I got? I'm just, uh, you know, in, in America, about back in the late 1980s and 1990s, there was a, there was a, there was a weird, I mean, we, why in America is everybody so weird? Uh, there was a blip of time where people felt it necessary to wear the tags on their outfit on the outside so everybody could see how much they paid for it. Weird is right, but it's not even the word for it. But they wanted everybody to know. You see his outfit? Look at the price. I mean, it's just how people are. Let me tell you, we're a serious kind of a building. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Go to the right. Ephesians 2, 19 to 21. Therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners. Amen. But fellow citizens with the saints, and with all of the household of God. And you're built upon, here we go, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, speaking of people, fit together, we grow unto a holy what? In whom also ye are built together for a habitation of the Spirit. A spirit, a habitation of God through the Spirit. So just hold there for a second. Well, just thinking about that, go to the next one. Go to our memory verse, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. 1 Peter 2, 5 says, Ye also as lively stones. Well, what's the purpose of a stone? It's not just to look at. It's to be part of a building. You, God uses lively stones, people, to build a spiritual house, a temple. You know, there's something different about being a Christian than just going through six days a week and then the seventh debating on whether you're going to do anything for God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 now, back to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Next time you have to find yourself in a Catholic church and you're at a wedding or a funeral or whatever, take a look at all those statues and all those things looking down on you. <laughs> it is no place in a church. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God. They are going to be my people. So, ye are the temple of the living God. Now the question is this, well, what does that make us? That makes us a living, breathing, walking, talking temple of God. 
here on earth. And that moves to the next thought, and that is, you are a place where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. What is this? Now, your life already is a vessel, and you know that. You're a memory bank. Some of you remember too much. <laughs> but we have, we have stuff we've stored away in our head. We're, we are a container. We, we were designed to hold many things. But most people have a hole the size of Texas inside of them. And they end up filling it with every demon and devil and every form of darkness that can be imagined. Now, if you don't want to be filled with that, if you want that hole to be filled with everything that's dark, go on your life. Keep watching everything on TV. Keep reading anything that comes out in, in the magazines and RTE Guide and, and believe in everything you see and hear in the media. But if you want your life to be filled with something else, build it on the Lord Jesus Christ and fill it with this book, this book, this Bible. You see, it's either going to be filled with demons or it's going to be filled with Jesus Christ. John 14, go to the left, find the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter. You think it would have been comforting to be around Jesus? I mean, the Apostle John loved to just rest his, his whole body against, when Jesus would be sitting down, John would just be laying over their head. This is the most comforting place on the planet. There was just, it was so awesome to be around Jesus. Children loved to be around him. But Paul, Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to leave you another comforter that he may be, abide with you. How, how long? Forever. And he's speaking even of the spirit of truth, whom the world can never receive, because it seeth him not. What does the world expect? Well, if I don't see it, I ain't going to believe it. So be it. And it neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. But what day, after the resurrection, shall be where? In you. So the point is this. Every believer is a place for the resident of the Holy Spirit of God. We read it there in Ephesians 2. It says, in whom also... Ye are building together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Do you know you are saved to be a place of worship, not a place for the devil to no longer to to uh, to be in charge of anymore. You're a place for the dwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Most people walk into a grand and massive cathedral. They walk into a huge church and they get the what? They get a feeling. They get a a, a presence. Uh, uh, they feel like awed and they inspired. They feel like they're in the presence of God. It's not real. It's fake. You may feel it, but it's not right. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to dwell in the building. Where does the Holy Spirit want to dwell and fill? You. Um, I'm just going to read these off just for time. Luke chapter 1, verse 41 says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, Zacharias, the father of John, was filled with the Holy Ghost. Didn't just have a taste of it. Acts 2, 4, and they, in that upper room, were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Chapter 4, Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, and I mean Peter, bold, He's risking his life, and he's not afraid. The end of chapter 4, verse 31, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 13, verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 5, 18 says, So be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit. Now, the truth is this. He can fill you if you want him to. You are a temple. You're either empty or you're seeking to be filled. I want to show you how he filled the temple in the Old Testament. Back to Exodus. Exodus, chapter 40. Some of this stuff we'll look at again next week because it's just too good. But Exodus, chapter 40, and verse 34. If you read the, verse, the verses leading up, 
you find Moses setting up the tabernacle. It's just a big tent. But as he set up this tent and he put everything in his place and everybody uh, uh, washing up and, and getting clean so they can, they can be near the presence of God. And as he finishes putting the finishing touches on the curtains and on the, uh, uh, the hangings and on the, uh, the, uh, the, the side panels and, and the, the brazen laver and the mercy seat, everything being there, look what happens in verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. That's what they call the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord did what? Did not... The, the cloud covered it. But the glory filled it. Now, which one usually fills you, the cloud or the glory? <laughs> Verse 35, And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because of the cloud, because the cloud abode thereon, and because the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I yearn in my spiritual walk to just have times more than ever where this life is filled with that spirit, where it's just the presence of God, because that's what he made me to be, was a place for him to dwell and him to be worshipped. And if you're waiting on church for you to start worshiping, you waited seven days too long. You're a vessel. You were meant to be a place for the Spirit of God to dwell. What are you filled with? Are you full of God's Holy Spirit? If you were to answer that, I think you'd be ashamed. Or are you full of the dirt and the filth and the dark and the hateful and the evil and the vengeful and bitter things that life has just thrown at you? And secondly, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Does the Holy Spirit even dwell within you? 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. In verse 5, examine yourselves. Take a look inside your temple, whether you be in the faith. You know, plenty of people come into church, but they never get into the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is where? You ought to know that He's in you. Unless you're a reprobate, unless you're unsaved. If the Holy Spirit does dwell in you, guess what? You'll know it, and usually everybody else around you will know it. It'll be evident, folks. There'll be joy, there'll be humility, there'll be servant attitude, there'll be self-sacrifice. Everything that made Jesus as a man great was the Spirit of God in Him. And everything that'll make you great will be the Spirit of God in you. So you're the place for the Spirit. You let that sink in for a minute. Because once you realize how holy this place is supposed to be for Him, you'll be ready for the rest of my message next week. Now God takes it serious if anyone defiles His temple. Go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3. I read verse 16, but let's read it again. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Do you think he's saying it like, like the teacher just says, don't you know two plus two is four? Is he just stating a fact, yes or no? No. He's like flabbergasted. He's like, he's worried. He says, don't you realize that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Verse 16, verse 17. If any man, if any woman, if any one of us defile the temple of God, him shall God... What's the next word? For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. Don't you go, well, you know what? I, I'm, not, I'm not so bad. I'm not as bad as my wife. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like so-and-so. No. Don't let any man deceive himself. If any man among you seem it to you wise in this world, you better become a fool real quick and take this serious. What does it mean to defile? When he says, if any man defile, 
It's a big meaning. It means to, to pollute, to dump rubbish into, to poison, to spoil or ruin, to taint, to pervert, or to damage. How many of you would like it if somebody came over to your home and brought in a dozen, a dozen dirty dogs into your house through the back door and let them do their business everywhere? You say, I let you in. I didn't expect your whole family to come in there. All the dogs coming in. That would be a defiling of your home. How would you feel if someone was dating your daughter and abused her and defiled her and hurt her emotionally and physically on their date? How would you feel about that? How would you feel if someone took the Bible and rewrote it like they're doing today constantly and made it say filthy and wicked things? Some of these new Bibles that are being published, there's a book out there called The Message. It's not even a Bible. There are, there are modern Bibles out there that make Jesus Christ a sinner. They make things, they, they say things that should not be said. They defiled the Word of God. Amen. You ever watched a film, read something, and it made you feel dirty after you watched it? You ever done that? That's defiling. That's what we're talking about. Go to John chapter 2. Gospel of John. Chapter 2. You see, Jesus got very upset when some people defiled his temple. John chapter 2, verse 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those that were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money. They were just sitting there like they were in charge. And when he had made a scourge, what's a scourge? A whip. Oh, Jesus, this, I think Jesus is crossing a line here. I think Jesus is angry, and you should never be angry. Shut your mouth. The Bible says that when you defile God's temple, what will God do? God will destroy. Was Jesus God? Phew. So he makes a whip out of small cords. And he drove, I mean, he shoved them out the doors. He drove them all out of the temple, and he got rid of the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. Was he a little upset or a lot? And he said unto them that sold just, the, just those who were just selling gentle doves, he said, take these, hens, these things, hence, get them out of here. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. He's upset. So the point is this. What you do with your body matters not only to you, but also to God. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There are obvious consequences to abusing your body. Would you agree with that? If you don't get enough sleep, now I didn't say 10 hours, <laughs> but if you don't get enough sleep for extended periods of time, do you understand what that does to your brain? Your brain is unknown by modern science. They may claim that they have all these scientific knowledge, but you know what? They do not know why you sleep. They just know you will go insane if you don't. You have to sleep, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot stay up till 2 in the morning and sit there and watch YouTubes and Netflixes and TV shows and think that at 7 o'clock, at 8 o'clock, you'll be able to do a good day's work at job or be in church. I'm just telling you, you've got to sleep. What you do with your body has consequences. We all, we all it's obvious that too much stress kills. Bad diet. More kids are... I'm watching Ireland. Ireland used to have Weetabix for breakfast, porridge for breakfast. You know what kids are eating? Kit Kats, or the equivalent of them, for breakfast. Bad diets? Does smoking kill? Of course it does. Drinking, drugs, these are, there are obvious consequences to abusing your body. Don't exercise? Just don't live long, that's fine. <laughs> You know, your very body belongs to God. He bought it with the highest of prices. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15. No, you're not. 
that your bodies are the members of Christ? Now, who does this finger belong to? Craig Ledbetter. Who does this hand belong to? Craig Ledbetter. I belong to Jesus just like that finger belongs to me. I'm part of his body now. Keep going. Shall I take then the members of Christ, the hands of Christ, the eyes, and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, God said, shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord, you're not a body, but you're a spirit with him. So verse 18 says, you got to choose which one you're going to love. You're going to love things that, that, that attract your body, and they are attractive, by the way, and they are hard to resist, by the way. Don't you think that, well, Christians have no, they don't have temptation. You're a fool. Every one of us battle with the same temptations everybody else does. But you have the decision whether you're going to join to that or you're going to be joined to him. Verse 17, he's joined on the Lord as one spirit. Verse 18 says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth without the body, outside of the body, is without outside, outside the body. But he that committeth fornication, next time you're looking at pornography, next time you're struggling with uh, uh, wicked, evil thoughts, you're sinning against who? Sinning against yourself. Verse 19, what? Know you not that your body is, there's that repeat, the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own anymore, for you're bought with such a price. Therefore glorify God both in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Why is that news to you? Why is it news to you that tattoos ruin a perfectly beautiful body? Amen. And I don't care if you have a tattoo or if you're thinking of getting a tattoo. I'm going to tell you, you ruined a perfectly good body. Can you imagine taking a six-year-old little girl and she's going to her first class, her, her, in, into school, and look at that kid and say, no, 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 she needs a tattoo. But when she gets 18, 19, drugs being in, injected into your body, it matters. Alcoholic drink poured down your gullet, matters. Fornication and sex outside of marriage, flaunting your bed, matters. It affects you. Piercing every part of your body imaginable, that matters to God. Staying angry and bitter and proud, that affects... Do you know what anger does to your body? Do you know what stress that you bring on yourself? Do you know what bitterness does to your body? The Bible says it defiles. Not just you. It matters to God what you do with your body. And I'm finished. Because next week's going to get hot. Now you're laughing now. I want to say you're God's greatest building project in progress. God didn't just save you and say, all right, now have a nice life. He said, I'm going to start working on this guy. And he's been working ever since the moment you breathed, I believe. But there is one foundation you better build, build, build in your life upon. There's no other foundation to build your life on. You know, back in the late 1800s, they were finding all these bones dug up everywhere, and these bones were massive. And they started figuring out these things are dinosaurs. And all of a sudden, a bunch of Christian ministers and all the big mainline churches started hearing all of these evolutionists start saying, well, these things don't exist today. They must have existed. And they said, first of all, about a million years ago. And then they started saying, maybe 10 million years. No, we figure now 65 million years ago. And a lot of those Christians back in the late 1800s, all the way up to 1930s, 1940s, all started leaving the Bible and believing science books. And now you know why the churches are dead. Because they don't believe the foundation. They came out and they said, well, we don't really know if Jesus was God. You know, it's crazy, folks. There's only one foundation to build your life on. I may not fully understand everything, but I believe it. Be careful, cowboy builders. Be careful who you watch, because you'll pick up their spirit. You'll pick up their nuances. You'll pick up all of the things that are cracks in their theology. You better make sure you got your own theology. If you're not reading your Bible through once a year, you're, 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 you're going to be taken to the cleaners. 
Beware. Paul says, beware how these things, how, how you build on the foundation. And beware of poor building materials. Like I said, I'm going to talk about that more next week. Just know this. Everything about your life is going to be tested if it hasn't already. <laughs> the moment that you, when you got saved and you pulled out that gospel leaflet at school or at work and you handed it to somebody that says, I just got saved. <laughs> you face fire, man. Remember that? That's life. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is you are a temple. You're God's temple if you're born again. And you are a place where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. So when you're watching something and it goes south, who's being made to watch it too? When you lose control of that tongue of yours and those eyes become laser beams, who's in there watching you go, go out of control? Who's in there quietly saying, stop, don't do it, don't say that. Oh, no, now say you're sorry. Oh, my. Big deal is this. God takes it serious if anybody is messing with the temple. That's why we raise our kids pure. We raise them for the altar where they get up and they are ready to get married. And they're, they're clean when they get married. That's why we keep kids innocent as long as possible. Because it matters if somebody offends them, if somebody abuses them, doesn't it? That's because they're special. Well, God thinks you're special and says, be careful about what you're allowing into your head and in your heart. Be careful what you allow in your home. Be careful what you let out of your mouth. Because <laughs> what did Jesus say? He said, it's not what you eat that defiles you. What is it? It's what you let out of your heart. So, guard what you allow into your thinking and feeling. I'm glad you're in church today. Come back tonight because I'll help you guard it some more. Actually, Brother Jim will. He'll preach. He's preaching tonight. Stand on guard of what, what I mean, I, I, ha, I have a, a message I've been wanting to preach. Are you ready? Is there anything that you won't do? What do I mean by that? Are there any limits to what you will allow yourself to do without, without shame and without guilt? You need to stand guard and say, you know, there are some things I'm not going to ever mess with. I'm not going back to. I'm never going to pick up. Uh, 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 a, a bottle, I'm never going to pick up a can, I'm never going to uh, go the way that I used to go. I have a limit now because this life doesn't belong to me anymore. Secondly, protect God's work that's going on inside of you. You know, the devil comes along and discourages you and pulls you down and reminds you that you're a nobody. Remind him he's going to hell forever. You need to remind uh, you need to protect that the, the work that God's doing in you, that it's good. And don't let you say, well, man, I'm a failure. Of course you are. But you're God's handiwork. And you want to make sure that by the time you walk into heaven, you're just right. Protect that. And then lastly, if you don't, if you don't take this seriously, you're going to end up rubbish heap. Everybody else finding themselves in today. Ruined lies, full of regret. I'd like you to bow your heads right now. We're going to stand in just a moment, but with your head bowed and your eye closed. I want you to think for a minute and just say, you know what? This life of mine probably is pretty defiled. I, I don't remember too often that I am a temple. That I'm a place of worship. And instead, it's a place of war. It's a place of anger, it's a place of fighting, it's a place of criticism, it's a place full of, of things and covetousness, it's a place of sin. When it's supposed to be a place of holiness, purity, worship, and light. Maybe you need to cry out to God this morning and shed a tear saying, God, I'm horribly defiled. People I've allowed people's words to hurt me. I've allowed things to cut me down. And I haven't protected the work that you've been doing in me. And I, I, let, I let things keep me from church. I let things stop me from just walking with you, Lord, and I'm sorry. Please change my stubborn heart. Please clean my home up. Help me clean it up. 
Help me stand guard. Because you, you, you meant this life of mine to be more than just a, a machine that just works and grunts and pays bills and dies. It all began with Calvary. It all began with the cross. It all began with the love of God shed abroad upon this world by a, by a Savior dying for sinners. This morning, if you're not born again, I'm going to ask you, today's the day you could get saved. Let me tell you, your life doesn't mean anything unless Jesus Christ is in charge. Would you like Him to save you this morning? A lot of people want Him to do something for them money-wise, but will you let Him do something for you eternity-wise? You're not saved this morning. I want to talk to you. You don't even know what it means to be born again. Today's the day where I could show you out of the Bible that Jesus loves you. He didn't come to save perfect people because they don't exist. He came to save sinners. And if you qualify, which you do, He can save you today. Christian, He saved you to be more than you are. Will you let Him? Let Him beautify you instead of letting the world constantly soil you. In Jesus' name, amen.